We have been in a teaching series, uh, a topical teaching series focused on the theme of renewal. And uh, in a few weeks, I'm, I'm hopeful to be able to let you know kind of where we're headed next. One of the main things we love to do as a church is just go through books of the Bible. And so when we're done with this topical series, we'll be uh, going through a book of the Bible here soon. I'd love to share with you what's to come. But for now, we're looking at this theme of renewal because, as I'm sure you're aware, the last few years of our world has thrown so many things into disarray, and many people have felt confused, disoriented, depleted, all of those sorts of things. And so we're seeking the Lord for renewal. We started off looking at how the gospel uh, renews us, that you who are in Christ are what kind of creations? New creations in Christ Jesus, and that he renews our minds, he renews our hearts, he even renews our physical selves. And at the end of the story, Jesus seated on the throne saying, behold, I'm making all things new. And we're invited into that. And now we're looking at renewed relationships. And we talked about marriage and parenting. And uh, today we're going to be looking at friendship. And after this, we're going to do a few more weeks just looking at some practical ways that the Lord brings renewal into our lives. But you may have heard us talking about the idea that it's not just we as individuals who need renewal, but us as a church community, as a, as a faith community, we are seeking the Lord for renewal. And we as an elder team, and we, we have a meeting a few weeks ago with our community group leaders and with others to, to just start to talk about what it would look like for us practically to seek the Lord in a season of renewal. I'm actually going to invite my friend Ed to come join me here on stage. Uh, Ed is a leader who is, uh, he's on staff with the Harbor Network, the network that we are a part of, and he made the journey yesterday all the way from the East Coast, from the state of New York, to come and be with us here this weekend. So can we just welcome Ed real quick for... All of that travel. So, uh, Ed, I think we met each other not quite a year ago at one of the retreats that the network put on. And uh, we started talking about punk rock music. I think that was our first conversation. So I was like, perfect. Ed is the guy I want to hang with. And as we've been seeking the Lord as an elder team, we reached out to the network and said, hey, we, we need some just outside wisdom, perspective, some counsel from somebody who's maybe kind of gone before. And I specifically reached out to Ed and said, hey, would you, would you be willing to kind of come alongside us in this season and help us see, you know, help us see things that maybe we're missing or just kind of provide some guidance? And so Ed's been gracious enough to respond to that invitation. And maybe you could just share with folks a little bit about yourself and your, your background and, you know, kind of how you found yourself in the, the mean streets of Linwood, Washington here today so well that's a gracious introduction but just so you get the code a guy who's gone a little bit for means I'm old that's uh that's that's what he's trying to say so um my wife who I left to come nope said that sentence wrong my wife who I left behind when I came out here and I have been married 31 years uh we worked together in raising well yeah Especially for her, right? For, for me, it's been a joy. For her, it's been sanctification. Uh, we raised um, four children who are now adults in states other than the People's Republic of New York. But we, we planted three churches out there. And this is a place where there's commonality with the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast. When the, the Midwest, the Southwest and the South is just beginning to talk about the changes of post-Christian America, we're like, man, we've been there for 15 years. We know what that's like. And that's the reason why about a year ago when God presented the opportunity to be the church planning director at Harbor Network, uh, when I first heard about the job, I said, sure, I'll I'll submit to the process. But I really thought, this isn't going to work out. And I said to my wife, would you pray about it? Because she's more godly than I am and prays more frequently than I do. And she looked me in the eye and said, I'll pray, 
that you listen to what God is saying about this. Because she, she like knew already I was supposed to take this job or something, right? And I realized that that's what the Pacific Northwest and the Northeast, where the people of God are, can give as a gift to the rest of this country, is to talk about what, what our experiences have been. I mean, they're, they're going to need that, our brothers and sisters. And Harbor is a, a place where we're, we're trying to do that. Now, one thing about Harbor, so you guys can know a little bit more about the network that you're a part of, we're not just a production church planting group that says plant at any cost. I think Harbor's Heart is actually a renewal group that says healthy men and women who are the people of God in their location serving on mission together will end up planting churches consequential to that. And so that kind of idea really jazzed me up. I, I took this position and have been enjoying this. And, and you know, like, like Aaron said, getting redeemed punk rockers are great, man. They just, they're ready to do something useful instead of just criticize. So that's really, really good. And I, I'm really glad to get to be here. Thank you for allowing me that. You guys can also pray for us. We have a group of um, lead pastors and wives gathering together tomorrow here in our building from Spokane, Portland, Seattle area, uh, just to spend time with, with Ed, also Ronnie and Melissa Martin from Ohio. High are going to come out and just kind of pour into the pastors and wives. But one of the specific reasons why Ed is here today is to be a part of this uh, town hall that we're having later this afternoon. And uh, I know that, you know, to ask y'all to, to come back on a Sunday afternoon for another meeting might be a kind of a big ask, but we as a leadership team really sense the Lord is leading us and guiding us in some, some new directions, and we want to be able to just put some things kind of very open-handedly before the congregation, invite you to prayerfully join with us in this season. But maybe I could ask you, as someone who has walked through, you know, with your own church and other churches, these kind of, uh, you know, renewal, resetting, reestablishing the foundations type of things, why, why should somebody even come join us this afternoon. You know, what would you say as a, as a guest, as an outsider to our church community? Well, since, since I'm a guest and won't have to like live with the statements later, I would say, do you really have something better to do? <laughs> there uh, was one person at the first service who said the Daytona 500 was on this afternoon. Yeah, so. prediction. They're just going to drive turning left the whole time. I can, <laughs> I can tell you how that one's going to work out. But I, I don't mean to just be blunt or sarcastic about do you have something better to do. But I think if we consider what it is to be the people of God on mission together, Moments like this are hinge moments that can really make a difference as we mature together. We always have to stop and take a look. If, if we just take for granted everything that we think we value, every direction we think we're going, and the ways we think we're doing that, we're quickly going to become museum curators of a church that once engaged, that once was passionate. And these moments are precious. You don't get them that often. And so I would say, please, take the time to come out and be a heart, be a voice of what this church is doing together to see those things. I, I think being able to pause and say, how are we doing, is really important. Th- think about what Jesus said when he taught us about communion. He said, do this in remembrance of me, which, which really implies something really horrible about us, that we're prone to forget the one who would die for us. And it's important once in a while as a church to say, man, if that's true about us, and I think it is because the Lord said it, that we need to pause and say, what, what do we need to clean out of our filters? Maybe, maybe some things in our sight have gotten to be larger than Jesus, and we need to really say clearly. And out of that clarity, I think, comes a tighter sense of people who are doing life as Christians together, serving in a place like the Pacific Northwest and the Puget Sound area. I'm grateful for you guys. I love the Northwest. Uh, it's, it's sort of like New York, only about 20 degrees warmer, and you got to switch out Scandinavians for Italians, and then it's pretty much maybe pizza for bubble tea. But, 
But it's, it's you guys are doing God's work here in the Northwest. And I, I do respect and admire that yeah. for my brothers and sisters. So yeah. thank you. We're really grateful to have Ed here with us this weekend. So hopefully you'll be able to come back again. Can we just say thank you again one more time for him and being here? Appreciate it. Scandawegians. That's good. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open to John chapter 15. I'm going to invite Haziel to come, and he's going to read our scripture for us today. And as I mentioned, we are focused on this theme of friendship. So Haziel will read for us, I'll pray, and then we will dive in. This is the the word of the Lord. Uh, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one uh, than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what, it, what his master is doing. But I have called your friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. Lord, we want to not just think about friendship with you in an intellectual sort of way, but God, I I would just pray that your Holy Spirit would be so present with us right now that we could even sense and experience that that feeling, that, that experience of closeness with you. Lord, would you guard my words and direct my speech that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. And Lord, would we all come away from this time of gathered worship today with a closer friendship with you and a closer friendship with one another as a witness to the watching world. I pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. As I was reflecting this week, I was thinking back to some of my earliest childhood memories. I have a really hard time remembering things now, like my children's names or, uh, you know, what I wore yesterday. But I have these very distinct memories of like some of my earliest, earliest childhood friends, like four years old, five years old. Does anyone here remember like a childhood, like an absolute childhood friend? Some of you, it's maybe long ago. Like, do you, what's a name? Do you know, what's a name? Is it Ricky, okay. Ricky Bobby or just Ricky? Okay. <laughs> Who else? What, what, like, do you have a name of a friend that comes to mind? Patty? Patty? Yeah. Do you keep in touch with her at all, though? No. What is it? Janae? Maya. Maya. Okay. Aaron, unrelated. Aaron, unrelated. <laughs> Good clarity. Were you stalking me when I was a child? Is that what? I, had, I have a memory of a friend named Jacob. I don't remember his last name. I bet you my parents would, would know their last name. And all I really remember about Jacob is I loved going to his house to play because he had an 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System with the Ninja Turtles video game. And I was like, I have to be there. I have to go to there. Um, I remember a couple of other friends, but my main friend was a kid named Wesley. We were born 
two months apart from each other. We literally were in the same church nursery as children, and we were like best buds. We'd do sleepovers. We'd pretend to play music. We would wrestle. We'd read. I remember reading Calvin and Hobbes books with him for like hours and hours on end. And uh, we've kind of grown apart over the years. I haven't talked to him in a long time. I think I'm still Facebook friends with his wife, who we also kind of grew up in the same church together. But he doesn't have a Facebook account. Do you know why? Because his career path led him. He is now a pilot who tests new experimental aircraft for the U.S. Air Force. I don't know how you stumble into that career field. That's a unique thing. Uh, Makes me feel not manly uh, to consider that he's out there, oh, nobody's ever flown this plane before. Looks like I'm going to have to be the one to do it. But as you get older, you start to realize that, man, friendship is just more complicated than it was when you were a little kid, right? When you're a little kid, it's, we happen to live on the same street. Do you want to be friends? We happen to be in the same class at school. Do you want to be friends? We happen to both like bugs. Do you want to be friends? Like, friendship was just easy. And how many of you know that as you get older, it's just harder. It's more difficult. I tried to really put myself in a frame of mind for friendship this week as I was preparing this sermon. I've told you before, I, um, you know, sometimes I'll build playlists of a, of a bunch of songs. So I put together, you know, a playlist about friendship. And I, you know, I've got, you know, Beatles, get by with a little help from my friends. I had uh, Queen, my best friend in there, some good classic rock songs. But then I had a moment because, you know, I grew up as a, as a youth group kid. I had a couple moments where I started journeying back in time. I remembered a song when I was a worship pastor of my church back in Alaska uh, called I Am a Friend of God by Israel Houghton. Anybody know that song? Yeah. And I listened to it this week and I had two thoughts. Man, that band is good. And I can't listen to that drummer and then try to drum this weekend. That's really de- depressing. But second, man, that is a repetitive song. Holy cow. I think they said the line, I am a friend of God, like 1,300 times or something in that one. I'm like, okay, we get it, Israel. You are a friend of God. But then that triggered another memory. Because when I was serving at that church, I also helped out with the youth group on Wednesday nights. And I remember an excited moment when one of the youth group kids walked up to me. This is in the early days of YouTube. And he said, you will not believe this cheesy video from the late 80s, early 90s that I found. And he started playing it for me. And it was a band. They had made it years before, like back in the 80s. And it was a band called Sunseed. And the song was called Jesus is a Friend of Mine. Have any of you seen that video? Okay, if you have seen it, you know the blessing that these others who have not seen it are about to experience after church when you look it up. Erin Lynn, will you please post it on the church's Facebook page? Will you please? She said, okay, two or three witnesses, she'll post it up. You don't even understand the blessing that you're about to receive. But then that triggered even another memory and it went further back in my memory banks. The epitome, the epitome of art and music around the theme of friendship comes from a saint named Michael W. Smith with a song called Friends Are Friends Forever. Friends are friends forever. Sing it if you know it. If the Lord's the Lord. Okay, that's enough. We have to stop there right now. And there's actually two versions. There's the 1990 version when he was doing his like pop mainstream version, but there's the 1983 version if you want to go deep, deep in the roots of the Christian music subculture. I just want you to know what's running in the background the whole time I'll be preaching this sermon, which is friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. You know, to be serious for a moment, friendship is challenging. It is challenging as we get older, as we grow, as we mature. I think there's a few reasons why. This is not an exhaustive list, but here are a few reasons why I believe friendship is challenging. On the personal level, how many of you know it can just be difficult to have time 
is work and responsibilities and paying the bills and taking care of the house. And for those of you who are married or you have children, you have all these obligations. I had a, a recent text message thread with a friend where it took us like three weeks to try to find a time to meet together in an afternoon. It's just challenging. There's also the difference of interests, different interests. Again, when you're a kid, it's, hey, do you like, you know, Spider-Man? Yeah, I like Spider-Man. Let's be friends. As you grow older, your interests become different. Your, your hobbies become different. Some of you, you know, have different political leanings than your friends when you were younger. And it just, it can create this distance and it makes it hard to be able to interact as friends. And there are hurts. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have ever been hurt? by someone who is a friend. And it can make a wall go up to where you feel like, I'm just going to keep my distance. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to get close to someone. There are also a few society-wide things, I think, that don't help us uh, establish good, healthy friendships. And one of them is a history of rugged individualism. You know, America... Uh, and the West has a history of this kind of hyper-individualism, whereas many, if not most other cultures around the world have a lot more emphasis on community. One of the aspects of our kind of current political climate and the debate and the fighting that we're seeing so much of is as, as the world shrinks and as globalism increases, we're seeing an in, a, a fight between communitarianism and individualism. And that individualism says a message something like, you, pr- you probably don't need anyone else, you need to just rely on yourself. And so individualism can make it difficult to really trust that I need someone else in my life to care for me, and they might need me. And there is one other aspect that, um, that I, I feel wor- is worth mentioning, particularly for men, living in a culture that is so hyper-sexualized it can be hard, particularly for men, to feel like having uh, you know, close, deep, trusted, intimate friendships without running the risk of, of the, you know, particular men of a certain age and certain demographic, they're, you know, it's just the jokes, oh, you're gay, or th- this sort of thing comes up. And, and this is not a joke. Some of you have never heard this, but it's, it is not uncommon. There, there's a, a joke for some men when they give each other hugs. You pat your back three times. You, you know what I'm talking about? The... I'm not gay, the three backpats. I know it sounds silly, but this is the kinds of things that sometimes men have to deal with, the idea of having a close personal relationship because of so much of the way that our culture has been hypersexualized can feel like a barrier. And you might say, well, it's just how it is. I guess friendship isn't really that important. Uh, You know, I just have to kind of get through life. But I would just say we ignore friendship to our own peril. We ignore an investment in friendship to our own detriment, most importantly because friendship is itself a portrait of the gospel. And that's what we saw in our text. The big idea I'm trying to get to you today is that through the power of the gospel, God calls us friends. God calls us friends. I know that our brother Haziel just read the scripture, but let's go back over it again because listen to the way that Jesus is speaking in the upper room with his disciples, his close friends, with John, the beloved disciple, leaning against him the night before his betrayal and his crucifixion. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. 
And I've told you these things so that your joy, that, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has a greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I love that. And I appointed you that you should go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love one another. I want to talk about three things in this. I want to talk about the God of friendship. I want to talk about the shape of friendship. And I want to talk about the practice of friendship, okay? The God of friendship, the shape of friendship, and the practice of friendship. First of all, the God of friendship. Do you see in this passage, that friendship exists within God himself. Right out of the gate, he says, Jesus, as the Father has loved me. And how often do we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus and the Father speaking to one another, and then even inviting the Holy Spirit into this. We, we are Trinitarian Christians. We are, we are uh, uh, Nicene Christians. We believe in one God who is eternally existent in three co-equal, co-eternal persons, one substance, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's an old joke that says, if you deny the Trinity, you lose your salvation. If you try to understand the Trinity, you lose your mind. This is a a paradox. It is too lofty for us, but we see that the persons of who God is love one another very deeply. Uh, Sam Andreas, who's a pastor and an author I came across recently, he he has a, a kind of a fun, quirky way of putting it. He says this. He says, if you're ever going to begin to understand the New Testament's teaching on the Trinity, how these three persons are one God, the first thing you need to know is that they are crazy about each other. I mean crazy. They talk about each other all the time. They think about each other all the time. They do things for each other all the time. This is most clearly seen in the New Testament among the first two persons. In the Gospel of Luke, for example, Jesus Christ's first words spoken and last words spoken are a reference to my Father. And so much of what Jesus says in between is about this same Father. When the latter, when when the father shows up explicitly in the gospels, it is to express how he feels about his beloved. You guys think about Jesus' baptism? You think about the Mount of Transfiguration when Moses and Elijah show up and Peter's like, this is sweet, I'm never gonna go home. What does the father say audibly? What does the father say so that others can hear it? This is my what kind of son? Beloved son, with whom I am what? Well pleased. The one is so into the other that they actually indwell each other. And by the time you get through this kind of demonstration, seeing how they dote on one another, you are liable to wonder how God has any time for us at all. You know, the, the, the Trinity, you know, we saw a few weeks ago that marriage comes out of the Trinity. The, the, the relationship between husband and wife is, a, is a, an analogy that comes from the Trinitarian relationships of God. When Jason taught on parenting, that the father-child, the parent-child relationship flows out of the Trinity. Well, friendship also flows out of the doctrine of the Trinity. Friendship exists within God himself. 
We also see, though, that humanity was made out of the overflow of that Trinitarian friendship and love. Humanity was made for friendship. Did you notice in our passage, four different times, Jesus says, remain in my love. Remain in my love. Don't walk away. Don't turn away. Don't leave. Remain in my love. When I, it made me think of in Genesis chapter 3, there's a really interesting little line that, that man, I would love to know more about. But in Genesis chapter 3, it says that the Lord God came in the cool part of the day to what? To go on a walk with Adam and Eve. Don't you want to, like, hey, Moses, could you write a little bit more about that? That sounds very interesting, and I would sure love to know what that means. The theology of that, though, is very clear, that God desires time spent on a walk with his friends. Okay, I, I, I realize, like, my wife and I will go for walks together. I don't think I've ever, and she goes on walks with women. She goes on walks with women. How many of you ladies like, oh, let's get together, let's go for a walk, right? That's, that's a, that's, I think it's a more stereotypical lady thing. I have never just gone on a walk with another bro. Dude challenge? I did get corrected by David, one of our members of the financial accountability team. He's like, dude, I go for walks with guys all the time. It's called the golf course. So I guess, I guess. Bro challenge, go on a walk with one of your dude friends, okay? Just do it. But the idea here is that God is on a walk with his friends. But that part of the story is this tragic moment when God is looking for his friends for their afternoon walk and the man and the woman are hiding because of the shame of their sin that they did not remain in the love of God. They did not remain in the friendship of God. They believed the lie of the serpent. They believed the lie that God was holding out on them, that there would be some other love or there would be some other thing that would satisfy them. And because of that shame, there was distance and brokenness that entered into the relationship. We were made for friendship with one another. We were made for friendship with God. But because of that sin, all the way back in the garden, So much of humanity has been marked by rejection of God and enmity with our fellow man. Racism, sexism, class, all the isms, war, murder, all of the brokenness of this world because we did not remain in the love that we were created for. Which leads us to then the good news of the gospel. Verse 13, Jesus said, There is no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life for, for what? For depraved wretches who don't deserve any of my grace. The, a man would lay down his life for, uh, even in this moment, to lay down his life for his wife, to lay down his life for his child. What does Jesus say in this pivotal moment? There is no greater example of love than someone would lay down his life for a friend. That that God took on human form in the person of Jesus Christ, the the second person of the Trinity, the the beloved one that we saw. He he took on mortal flesh. He, He took on our weakness. He took on our vulnerability to come and offer us a restored friendship with God through his death on the cross. Let me ask you a question. Um, again, don't, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever had a, a relationship that, you know, a friendship that went sideways or something happened and there was a conflict and, the, and there was some severing in the relationship and then you tried to meet together to try to work it out? Anybody ever kind of had that experience? Isn't that a painful experience to sit and try to 
reconcile, to to rectify it? That's an awkward feeling. It's a painful feeling. It feels a little bit like death. As Jesus had a crown of thorns placed on his head, as Jesus had nails driven through his hands and feet, as a spear pierced his side, as a as a sponge with sour wine and gall was lifted up to his lips, that was Jesus embracing the pain so that we could have reconciled friendship with God. Jesus came to offer us friendship. The gospel is an invitation to friendship. Even as Jesus is saying these words and teaching these words the night before his crucifixion, he is sitting around a meal, a remembrance meal that we know as communion, the table of friends. And then it should be said that this friendship with God carries authority. Friendship with God carries authority. Did you notice that Jesus said, you are my friends if what? If you obey my commands. You know, I've tried to raise my daughters to know that if someone comes up to you and says, you're my friend if you do what I say, we don't hang out with that person, right? Like that's, that's not a healthy human-to-human relationship. But when it comes to God, the creator God, We must recognize that we are being invited into friendship with the supreme being of all of the universe. The one who hung the stars in the sky, the one who filled the oceans, who raised the mountains. He is, it should blow our minds that he invites us to be his friends. You guys remember, man, I just, there's so much like Christian subculture I'm referencing today. You guys remember like late nineties, I think it was late nineties when those Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts came out. Anybody remember those? Slightly sacrilegious, I think. Um, I understand the impulse. But it should be mentioned that we are, we are still Jesus' servants. He is still the Lord. He is still the master. He is still the boss. But it's, it's like if you somehow knew, you know, the governor, you knew the president, like, here's my personal number. Just text me whenever you want because we're friends. And it's not just that he has authority. It's that he actually grants us authority as well. Do you notice what he says in verse 16? He says, I appointed you to go and do what? To bear fruit, to produce fruit, the kind of fruit that's going to remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. You know what's interesting? Adam and Eve in the garden, they were given a commandment to what? To be what? To be fruitful and multiply, to rule over the earth that God created man and woman as image bearers, as kings and queens with royal authority to be his representatives, his stewards over the earth. Because we did not remain in his love, we did not live out that created purpose, but because of the gospel, Jesus shows up and says, I am restoring the relationship. I am restoring you back into friendship with God. Let's pick up where we left off. Now go and bear fruit. Be fruitful right here in the gospel being restored to our original creative purpose. We serve a God of friendship. Can I get an amen from the church here this morning? He has friendship within himself. He has invited us into his friendship through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection power. We get to go back to close friendship with God. How good is that? Now, next thing to talk about though is What does this friendship look like? What's the shape of this friendship? Because, you know, we can mean a lot of different things when we talk about friendship, right? There's just buddies, just hanging out, 
playing video games or, uh, you know, for the women and for the guys, you know, like going on walks and stuff, right? What are we talking about when we're talking about friendship? I think there's three really important things that Jesus shows us. If there's this Trinitarian shape of friendship that he's inviting us into, three things. Number one, vulnerability, not guardedness. Jesus says, a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I'm letting you in behind the scenes. I'm opening myself up to you. I'm, I'm, I'm self-disclosing myself to you. So Jesus, I mean, think about Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, vulnerability as a, as a baby. And then vulnerability in his, in his earthly life and existence, vulnerability in his death on the cross. Everything that, that Jesus did was to, to open himself up and to disclose the will of the Father all along the way. True friendship comes with this kind of vulnerability, this, this intimacy, this self-disclosure, and, and good friendship is when we do that, we are met with love and grace and acceptance. Now, it, it is worth mentioning that with any sort of vulnerability comes the possibility of being hurt. I will ask you to raise your hands for this. Have you ever been hurt by a friend or someone? Anybody? The rest of you who didn't raise your hands, are you alive? Like, will someone please check their pulse? Because, man, to be vulnerable is to be hurt. And, and, and it's also worth noting there are, there are different kinds of hurt. There is bad hurt. You open yourself up and someone takes advantage of you. you you're trying to disclose of yourself. You're trying to, to, to show who you are and you are met with judgment or, or just pain. Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 7, he says, don't give what is holy to the dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under your feet, under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus acknowledged that you might offer that which is good of yourself and you might be met with harm. There is such a thing, particularly in relationships where there's authority, there is such a thing as abuse and Jesus hates it. And he does say to have wisdom and to be careful about who you open yourself up to. That is bad hurt. But how many of you know there is also a good type of hurt? Proverbs 27, faithful are the wounds of a friend. It's your enemy who's going to give you a lot of kisses, make you feel all soft and, and cozy and gentle. How many of you have ever had a conversation with someone where they said something to you like, ooh, that stings, but I needed to hear that. We, we, we have... We have so many of us conflated the idea of any sort of discomfort automatically means that it's, you're being mean to me or hurtful or whatever. Friends, we have to learn how to discern bad pain versus good pain. The Lord himself disciplines those whom he loves. Jason taught on that just a couple weeks ago. The Lord disciplines those he loves. To be a friend with God may mean there will be a chastening but in that place of vulnerability, when we experience pain or we experience difficulty, may the Lord grant us the wisdom to know the difference. Hey, this is somebody who is harmful and hurtful. I can't, you know, take the pearls and throw them before the swine. Hey, this is someone who really loves me, really has my best interest at heart, and I'm going to open myself up to them, even if it means the possibility. By the way, any person that you're going to be a friend with, you're a fallen person, they're a fallen person, living in a broken world, you will be hurt. 
But this is where we get to rely upon the power of the gospel, not our wise friendship techniques. Number two, the shape of this friendship. It is shaped by commitment, not convenience. I love this. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. When you are saved, you have a moment. There's a moment of decision where you say, I am coming to faith in Jesus. But the moment you, done that, you do that, you, the moment you had done that, the moment you did that, you are activating this reality that God already chose you. You know, here's the thing. Sometimes Christians get wacky about words like predestination or election or verses like this about God choosing you. Do you know what this means? It means that you didn't sneak in through the side gate and somehow accidentally get to be a friend with God. It means that he wanted you. He liked you. He chose you. He desired your presence at the party. You didn't sneak in through the side gate and just grab a cupcake and put on a little party hat and be like, maybe I'll be friends with somebody if they just don't notice that I snuck in. No, God sent you the invitation. He drove to your house. He picked you up. He put the cupcake in your hand. He put the party hat. This is a weird analogy. He put that party hat on your head and said, welcome to the party, friend. (laughs) I'll fix that for the future. Uh, This idea of intentionality. We talk about intentionality in our marriages. We talk about intentionality in our parenting. We talk about intentionality in business. Why don't we talk more about intentionality in friendships? I've even gotten pushback from some people about the idea of like covenantal friendships or covenantal, uh, even like church membership, you know, covenant. I don't have time to do a whole sermon on the word covenant, but a lot of people are under the, the, the misunderstanding that the word covenant only applies to relationship with God or to marriage. Covenant is used, look in 1 Samuel 18, David and Jonathan, Jonathan, the son of King Saul. When David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. And here it is. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. This is something for discussion this week. What would it even look like to make a covenant of friendship with someone? I don't know. I didn't have the time to explore it. You explore it. Figure it out. Email me. All I know is that there is far too much friendship in our society that is based around convenience, how you make me feel, what I can get from you, instead of saying, I'm going to love you as much as I love myself and make a commitment to you. And the third piece of this shape of friendship is simply enjoyment, not tolerance. I have told you these things, Jesus said, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete, total, whole, all of it, all the joy. We were talking with Derek leading music today. We're like, let's go, like, we're just going to give him all the joy today. Like, when we sing at the end, like, you guys better bring all the joy, okay? Amen, Derek? Far too many Christians, like we, we focus on sin and repentance and all that, which is 100% true, 100% biblical, but don't forget the idea that God enjoys you. God enjoys you. Jesus says, I, me and the Father, we got a pretty sweet thing going on here, and I'm inviting you into it because I enjoy you. 
You, men, women, younger, older, black, white, rich, poor, you all are created in the image and the likeness of God and bear a unique thumbprint from God that, that no one else has. I mean, I know it sounds a little bit cheesy, but like you are special and uniquely loved by God and he enjoys you. He didn't have to do any of that, but he did it out of joy. C.S. Lewis writes that friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy or art or like the universe itself, for God didn't need to create. I love C.S. Lewis. God, you ever thought, you ever called the universe unnecessary? <laughs> I have had that thought actually before, like when I like read about like how far away stars are or something like that. Like, God, that is so unnecessary. Why did you do that? Like, he made things like billions of light years away just so he could invite us into relationship with him. Man, you've got to get out on a starry night. Just let that blow your mind. Friendship has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which give value to survival. We are invited into God's joy. So this friendship is, there's vulnerability, there's commitment, and there's enjoyment. And we actually see this in Jesus, in his earthly life and ministry, the way that his friendships worked out. Think about Jesus with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. When Lazarus died... I believe that Jesus knew that Lazarus would be raised from the dead. It's maybe not explicit in the text, but we seem to kind of infer that. But what does it say? The shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Do you remember what the response of the other people around him was? Man, he really loved Lazarus. And Martha and Mary. The conversations he has with them. Mary uh, just sitting at his feet while Martha's, you know, cleaning the house or mopping or whatever the friendships that Jesus had. Think about John. I love, I love John. I mean, we're, we're preaching from John today. John, John's like, yeah, Jesus had 12 disciples, but do you know what? I'm the one he loved. <laughs> John called himself the beloved disciple. Like, <laughs> check this out, dude. It's the beloved disciple. Also, I'm a faster runner than Peter. That's in, that's in there. I love John. So funny. That when Jesus is speaking these words, we, we learn that John, the beloved disciple, was leaning up against him in an act of friendship and intimacy. Jesus made himself vulnerable, not only through disclosing the will of the Father, but going to the cross. Jesus was torn by the dogs on the cross so that we might be healed. And Jesus is committed to us. He said, this is a commitment. This is a covenant written in my blood. I am committed to you as friends. And Jesus says, I want you to enjoy what I enjoy. Let's get in on this joy thing together. So let me close briefly with some practices for friendship. Some things to chew on. Discuss them with your, discuss them on a walk with your friends. Five things briefly. Number one, you have to prioritize friendship. Look, I know that life is busy, but don't you ever get sick of saying the same excuse over and over again? Oh, it's just really busy. When is your life not going to be busy? You are in charge of your life. You be the grown-up of your life, and you tell your calendar, throw, first of all, throw your phone in a lake. Second of all, <laughs> prioritize it. Prioritize. Like, I need to prioritize time with my friends. I know it's challenging. I know it's hard. But if the gospel is true, then it's worth it. Number two, be committed. 
There may be a time where a relationship needs some distance, whether it's an unhealthy relationship or whatever, but I think that far more often we have these fair-weather, kind of non-committal friendships and relationships, and the Lord is committed to us, the covenant written in his blood, and he invites us to be committed to one another. Number three, be vulnerable. Self-disclose. This is hard. Now, for some of you, uh, you've experienced hurt or wounding, this act of vulnerability may be the first step is going and getting with a trusted, safe friend or like a, a therapist or a counselor or a pastor or someone who can help you in the process of healing so that you can go into those relationships again with vulnerability. That might be the very first step. I need to relearn how to be able to trust. And may the Lord help you in that and love to talk with you or pray with you after the service if that's something for you. But just the idea of, you know, this isn't just buddy time. It's like, hey, let's, let's, let's open up about our lives. Number four, recognize seasons. Uh, in this life, friends will come and go. I mentioned at the beginning, the childhood friends, maybe you don't have them anymore. I, I did talk with someone recently who still keeps in touch. This person is uh, around 70 years old and still keeps in touch with their earliest childhood friend. They see each other. Praise God for that. That's awesome. For most of us, there's friends. They, they're here for a season. They're, they're not for a season. Now, if we're in Christ, we know that we have eternity to look forward to and we'll be able to catch up all that we want because as we know, friends are truly friends forever if the Lord is the Lord of them. I'm sorry, I couldn't. It's been running in the background the whole time. And then lastly, lastly, make Jesus the central thing about your friendship. Um. I have friendships with people who are not followers of Jesus. I have genuine friendships with people who are not followers of Jesus. But the problem is, with those friendships, is I am endeavoring, in a faltering sort of way, but I'm endeavoring to make Jesus the central thing, the most important relationship in my life. And if someone doesn't share that with me, then the relationship, will, there will always be a limit, there will always be a gap, there will always be a distance. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you are invited into friendship with God. Please don't leave today without having accepted that offer of his friendship. But for those of you who are, thankfully, friends with other Christians, remember, your friendship does not exist for your friendship. Friendship, community, relationship is not the termination point. It is a means to an end, and that end is a richer, deeper, fuller walk with the Lord. We need each other as friends. We need the Lord more. We enjoy one another as friends. We enjoy the Lord more. So as you pursue friendship, as you pursue relationship, don't let the friendship be the telos, the end, the termination point, but let it serve to redirect you to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and invite him into your friendships. And as we turn to the table of the Lord right now, we get to go to the table of friendship with God. So let's prepare our hearts now. Lord, what a remarkable thing that you would call us friends. I, I, I don't even, all the words that I could say and all the time we could spend pondering that just doesn't even do it justice. And so Lord, we thank you that through the gospel of Jesus, you've called us friends. We thank you that the death and the resurrection of our Savior invites us into a restored relationship of friendship with God so that we can go and bear much fruit and even now, Lord, as we come around the table to eat and to drink and to celebrate, I pray that we would experience friendship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.